0: section six of the beginning of the middle ages by richard william church this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. chapter three condition of the teutonic settlements part two two further the teutonic settlers found themselves in the midst of a population long accustomed to the elaborate and fully developed system of roman law which had grown up out of the varied experience and the practised forethought of a great people and which provided naturally and easily for the numberless questions of human life and intercourse it is clear that roman law greatly impressed them they had brought with them their own unwritten customs from the other side of the rhine or from the banks of the danube according to which the rough justice of a rude and inartificial state of society was administered. Each tribe had its own customs, and earlier or later after the settlement, in some cases very early, these customs expressed in Latin were reduced to writing, and became in contrast to the general Roman law, the peculiar law of each tribe or kingdom, the law of the Burgundians, Visigoths, Salian and Ripuarian Franks, Alamanni, Bavarians, Lombards. These were at first rude attempts, mainly lists of offenses and penalties, the penalties being for the most part money fines or compensations according to the nationality or social rank of the injured person. But they expressly recognized for the Roman population, that is, for the larger part of the population, the Roman law. Some of the Teutonic kings, as Alaric, the West Goth, in 506, and Sigismund, the Burgundian, in 517, republished and resanctioned the Theodosian code or selections from it for the guidance of their Roman subjects. The next step was to incorporate in their own laws, as fresh cases arose and new questions had to be adjusted, provisions adopted from the Roman law. The great Theodoric, the East Goth, about 500 drew up by the help of his latin counselors his edictum in which borrowing from roman principles of law he laid down rules for barbarians and romans alike intended to teach respect for right and order to protect the weak against the strong and to guard the civilization quiwilitas which he so valued and finally as in the law of the west goths six forty two to seven o one after they were confined to spain the two elements teutonic and roman were fused together into one general code of territorial instead of personal law for a nation in which goths and romans had come to be looked upon as one people even while the special customs of each tribe were defined and maintained there was yet always the consciousness of a larger and more universal law all round them the vast system of laws decrees and judicial decisions which came down from the republic and the empire and which compared with the local laws of franks or goths seemed like the general law of the world as contrasted with the by-laws of some local association this vast scientific apparatus of jurisprudence was in the hands of the latins understood by them still worked and administered by them accomplishing ends which the rough barbarian rules could not reach the teutonic settlers without fully understanding the great instrument were able to appreciate its power and advantages latin clerks put their teutonic customs into the universal language latin experts interpreted to their kings the roman codes in spain latin-speaking bishops in the councils of toledo compiled and arranged the laws of the west goths in the north under the franks the roman municipal system with its magistrates and its forms continued to act only adjusted to a state of things in which the teutonic count or bishop took the place of imperial presidents or councillors and the close latin municipality gradually passed into the more popular body which was to become the commune the commonalty of later times in proportion as the germans settled down to the conditions of civil life bought and sold built and planted claimed rights or disputed them made wills and inherited property they came upon the roman civil order waiting for them ready-made in all questions with its strong principles and established rules. They found themselves, as Guizot expressed it, caught in its meshes. Its influence varied greatly, but its traces are seen everywhere, and it was one of the chief means by which, in the union of the two races in the West and South, the Latin element gained more and more the ascendancy. 3. Again all these Teutonic settlers, Goths, Burgundians, Franks, Lombards, found themselves in daily contact in the business of life with a latin-speaking population the leaders of which were more cultivated and the inferior classes more numerous than themselves whether as masters or as fellow-citizens whether profiting by latin knowledge or employing the labour of their new dependents and slaves they were forced to know something of latin not of course the literary latin which we have in books even in the books of the time but the latin spoken in daily life as it must have existed even in the days of cicero and virgil the latin spoken by the humble coarse and ignorant the latin of soldiers husbandmen mechanics foreign slaves with its vulgar idioms and pronunciation varying in different localities and with its varying admixtures of rude and outlandish expressions the new masters could not deal with their woodsmen their carpenters their masons on their possessions without acquaintance with the provincial dialect in which the latin of common life happened to be spoken on the spot and whenever they had need of learning political legal or ecclesiastical in the services of the church in the courts or in the lawyer's office they found that learning had not attempted and was hardly able to speak in any other than the imperial speech of rome There was not yet strength enough in the German dialects, still reputed barbarous even by those who used them, to break the prescription of custom in favour of Latin in business, in diplomacy, in all solemn and formal transactions. Their ancient speech among Franks and Goths remained the cherished sign of a conquering and dominant race. It was the language of the nursery and of the family, as long as the family kept itself Teutonic it would have the preference in easy and intimate intercourse as long as the boast of ancestry and blood remained in the court or in the service of the court but besides that franks and goths by degrees married latin wives gallic italian spanish it was more and more the case that if the imported teutonic was the language of predilection the local latin was the language of necessity and convenience when one of the conquering race wanted to show temper or inflict insult, he might say that he did not understand Latin. But he was in reality far too shrewd and too wise to cut himself off from what he knew to be one of his indispensable instruments of power. For centuries in the lands of the Teutonic conquests, two languages went on side by side, in proportions varying in different districts and different orders of society each acted on the other but each remained distinct borrowing words or even forms but keeping its own fundamental structure and elements where goths franks lombards settled the population must have been in parts of it at least more or less bilingual two languages were in use running a race for the mastery as now in wales and in brittany in many cantons of switzerland in parts of the United States and Canada, in Hungary and Bohemia, and in India. Till at last, convenience, policy, accident, gave one or other the victory. So, unperceived at the time and silent, the struggle went on between the Teutonic and Latin languages. The Teutonic had on its side the pride, not merely of rank, but of race and blood. On the other hand, the Latin had three advantages. It had numbers, it had what the Teutonic had not yet, a written literature, and it had the church with its services, its schools, its legal forms, and its clerks. And in a large portion of the Teutonic conquests, these were decisive, though the struggle was long. The end had been that victory has remained with the Latin and its derivative languages in the west and south of the continent of Europe thus under influences such as these helping or checking each other a new society began to rise out of the ruins and fragments of the old germans and romans each ceased to be what they had been to become something new and different the slow and often imperceptible process of change began which was to build up again in many ages the order and stability of life which in the fall of the roman empire seemed to have foundered the process which often broken off often ill-directed often disappointing in its results was yet at last to fit the new nations to take the place of the empire which their fathers had destroyed and one remarkable feature of the change was the final prevalence of the latin element wherever it had originally established itself over the teutonic it was steady and certain however protracted there was a reconquest to roman habits and sympathies to what a convenient medieval word designated as romanitas or latinitas of the latin provinces which the german conquerors had seized and made their own it is plain that from the first no exclusion or principle of separation prevailed the two races early began to work together in war and in political administration and the Germans were willing to employ even in places of high trust the services which Latins were willing to render. In Gaul especially, as far as can be judged from names which occur in the history of his times by Gregory of Tours, the proportion of Latins to Germans among the dukes, counts, patricians, and other officers of the Frank kings, especially those connected with the revenue, seems to be something more than two to three among the bishops and clergy the names and the origin are at first almost exclusively latin and to the end of gregory's history barbarian names among the high ecclesiastics are the exception the character of the franks as he portrays it lent itself readily to this gradual mixture and fusion with the latin provincials as warriors they were among the most impetuous and formidable of the german invaders but they were eminently vainglorious light-minded unsteady and self-indulgent and as they passed from the privations of their barbarian life to an abundance and luxury unknown before they would be singularly exposed to the fascinations and flatteries of a new form of society which had opened to them such new enjoyments still it was to be a long time before the franks ceased to be in spite of roman influences a teutonic race In Spain, the Goths yielded earlier to these influences. In Italy, the intrusive German element, more completely alien and more passionately resisted, was vanquished or absorbed after the defeat of the Lombards. In Gaul, in the provinces south of the Loire, studded with great Latin cities, Bordeaux, Toulouse, Lyon, Vienna, Arles, Nîmes, with the half-Greek and half-Latin Massilia, the latinizing of the franks went on faster and more completely than to the north of that river and it went on faster between the loire and the meuse than between the meuse and the rhine but though the end was a long way off yet in the end gaul passed through many intermediate steps from the franks the most teutonic of teutons to the professed leaders of the latin race the chiefs of the romance family of nations the french Rome, which had Latinized her conquered provinces, ultimately Latinized also her German conquerors. But the transformation was a long one and accompanied with many disasters and many losses. In the civil as in the religious order of things, the downfall of Latin ascendancy at the time of the Teutonic conquests was the beginning of a dreary period of confusion, violence, and ignorance while the franks and goths were learning the rudiments of civilised social life the latins were losing it from the contact and predominance of a ruder people and the latins were losing much more than at the time the germans were gaining in the sixth century latin literature which had recently seen a real poet like claudian a philosopher like boethius and which scarcely a century before had seemed to be reviving in new power and life under the originality and the eloquence of augustine rapidly sank into a darkness which was to last for ages the generation which saw the fall of the empire saw the sudden extinction of classical culture and of all strong intellectual efforts in the wild and turbulent days of the frank the gothic the lombard kings men had neither leisure nor heart for serious thought and study much less for literary trifling and pastime such as that which amused a student of the latin classics like sidonius while auvergne was quiet under the protection of rome what writing there was was for the immediate calls of the day it was very abundant it was often forcible and genuine but the sense of order and beauty the care for strength and grace the power of handling language with a mastery over its resources the discrimination of the weight and proportion of words had passed away along with the interest in all the deeper forms of intellectual inquiry and enterprise gregory of tours laments quaintly and pathetically his bad grammar and unskilfulness in writing his false concords and wrong cases latin reading and writing were practised by none but those to whom they were the necessity of their profession or the road to advancement all but the monastic or cathedral schools seemed to have disappeared in the barbarian conquest these guarded the records of literature and a great deal of composition proceeded from them but it was composition which in its subjects was very monotonous confined in range and meagre in ideas while in execution it became more and more coarse and rude and in all but the most direct and primitive forms of expression childishly helpless there indeed in telling some terrible story in recording some memorable words of deep passion or emotion it preserved much of strength and sometimes precision but in the presence of the lawlessness and insecurity of the times Men's interest was absorbed by the actual calamities which they saw, by the vicissitudes and crimes which surrounded and oppressed them. They did not care in such days to cultivate the powers and refinements of language, and they soon lost what they had inherited of these powers and refinements. They lost, too, with this the generalizing and comparing faculties, the value for exactness, for proportion, for adequacy of statement. The Teutonic conquest was followed by centuries in which we see an increasing literary depression and a universal incapacity for efforts of strong and fruitful thought. But dark as the times were, they were the beginnings of better days. The preparation for improvement was never intermitted. The ancient culture of the classical days was gone, with its wisdom, its grandeur, its wickedness it had failed in the trial to lead men to improvement and the new order had not yet begun to know its strength and power of growth the men of the new world were like children in the nursery in profound unconsciousness of what they were and of what they were doing they thought that they were but living from day to day in a world which was growing old and perishing the monks with their hard labor and their fairy tales of saints knew not any more than the rough soldiers and lawyers that they were making their first but necessary steps in a great progress what they did was deformed by all kinds of evil and ignorance but there were really good and even great men among them and the best of them did what they could at a time when in the nature of things it was impossible to do much and when we watch their attempts poor and weak as they might be we are reminded perpetually that at least they were faithful in little end of section six